You've probably seen a million times uh, sent in the email as spam. And it's a picture of a bunch of people carrying their crosses. And in, in the pictures, one by one, they, the guy begins to complain that the cross is too heavy. And so he asks the Lord if he can cut it down a little bit. And each time in a frame, he gets to cut it down a little bit more, goes along a little further, cuts it down a little bit more, and tells a lot lighter. And then another frame is shown kind of singing along and leaving the other people being ahead of everyone until he comes to a big ravine. Now, didn't know what to do because his cross wouldn't spread across the ravine. But the other people's did. And, and the point of that particular cartoon that's being sent around is this, that if we don't carry the load, if we don't, aren't willing to be changed and trained by the hardships that come our way, when the big hardship comes, the one that he allowed those things in our lives for, we won't be able to make it across. And so we spent a fair amount of time to talk about it, and we'll continue to talk about how to take what happens in our life and use it for what God intended it to do, intended to be growth in our life. He intended us to grow by each trial and tribulation we have, not to get out of them. Now, I know a lot of uh, people believe in, in the book of Revelation that there's a pre-trib that people get taken out before. That may be. I don't think so. Because everything about I've ever seen with God is that he allows us to go through trials and tribulations to develop character and to develop himself in our lives. And that's really what he wants to do. He wants to develop a picture of who he is. That when people look at us, you could say, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Wow, would that be something special to say. You know, I mean, most of us can't even comprehend that, me included. But that's what God wants to do. That's intention. His intention from the very beginning is to get us to look like him. And how Jesus was refined was through trials, too. Matter of fact, the scripture says it says that he, he saw it fit through suffering to make his son perfect. That's how he works. His kingdom is truly opposite of the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world says you should not have to go through it. It should be easy. Life is good and always easy to go through. Now, the reality is that does not match up with that. But they tell you that. And so if something is going wrong, that means you must be doing something wrong. That's not correct. That's very bad theology. Sometimes the things when you're going through hard things are the very things that say that you are doing what's right. I remember I was in the early vineyard days, and, and there was a, a pastor that used to really take some big shots at the vineyard and say all kinds of bad things. And I remember John Wimber used to say this. He says, you know, if, I don't, if, if they aren't saying this, I'm not doing anything. And that was the church. And if the church doesn't come against us on things we do, if things aren't hard, we aren't doing anything. Because, you know, the enemy does not have to mess around with the deadweights. You know, he only has to mess around with the people that are contending for the kingdom of God. We are that people. You know, I want to call you to remember the favor that God has on you. First of all, the favor God has on you that you're born in during this period of time. I truly believe we're in the last days. I've been saved 35 years. I haven't thought that for most all that time, but the last year or so. And the last two or three months, I've been really seeing an acceleration of the kingdom on this earth today. And that that's, means there's going to be a great tribulation 
and a great manifestation of God's presence. So what a blessing to be in that time. You know, in, in the realm of reality, we often forget that this is a short time of suffering for a long time of benefit. Now, this is also the time that they talk about that the, that the financial kingdom is supposed to be shifted to the Christians. How many of you heard that? You know, that, that, you know, I mean, a lot of people like to talk about that, you know, that, that, uh, uh, that during this period of time, we're supposed to get the wealth of the world. It's supposed to be taken away from the wicked and given to us. Sound good? I think it sounds good. I kind of like it. But I think we have the wrong idea exactly what that will mean or how that will be. Most of the time, when we think about it, it's kind of like Hollywood. I, I was in a church in, in Malibu, and we used to have people come in. They wanted to save Hollywood. All these, uh, they really wanted to be in Hollywood. Most of them had never been in anything. But they always wanted to save Hollywood. They wanted to be, they were going to be this big saver at Hollywood, and they didn't know their own hearts. They really wanted to be in there. And the things that people that made it a little bit ended up just like Hollywood. We see, if we are handed the finances as we stand right now, most likely we'll be just like the world. You know, we'll, we'll you know, not, now hear me on this. I really believe it's fine for, for, for the people of God to have nice houses, nice cars, all this stuff. So I'm not saying anything against that. Get me clear. I really believe that. I've had some really nice things in my life, and I really like it. Paul says, I'll tell you a secret. Be content with a little and a lot. But it was a lot, too. It wasn't just a little. Little and a lot. We have to be content wherever we're at. But the key to it is how we see things. God wants us to have the blessings of the world. And he wants us to be blessed with the finances in the pocket. And he wants things to go well with this. But what he really wants most of all is the kingdom be established. Now, I'm going to touch on it today and talk about it more as we go along, to be what it is to be kingdom-minded. Most of us think that means God blesses us, we get a lot of money, we give our 10% or more to the church, or to the works of God, or to a people in need, or a lot of different things. And I don't think that's what it means. You know, I'm not going to, you know, a lot of people ask, is the tithing a a true thing now? And yeah, it is. We're supposed to give a tithe. But the New Testament version is a lot different than the Old Testament version. The New Testament version is talking about the establishment of God's kingdom, that that would be totally on our hearts from beginning to end. That that, that, that the, the thought is to establish his kingdom. Seek your kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all the rest will be given to you. And then God will give you the, the other as well. Kingdom minded is a move from being about you to being about the kingdom. It's a move from, the, from trying to go and establish yourself to establish his kingdom. It's, it's a move that says that I want to bless with my life, with my finances. With my, it's not just my finances, guys. With my life, my time. My energy, everything I have, my house, my car, I want to share things with people, help them with this and that. That's what I want to do, and I get to keep some. 
And the thing is, God won't have any problem with you keeping some. I believe if we really get this kingdom-minded mentality correct, God will bless us beyond all our financial ever, ever thoughts, ever dreams we've ever had. Much greater than that. But only if we're caught up with his kingdom, not our own. Now, we were on Romans 8. And the first thing I started off on teaching this church was the garden. And in the garden, I, I showed an example, the two trees in the garden. One was the tree of life, which was symbolic of God and the spirit realm. And the other was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is a symbolic of the right to make your own choices and to live your own life the way you think you should do it. The original lie was you can be like God. And what was to be like God? Direct your own life. See, one was about the Son of God. The other one was about self. And Romans has a real different, they use different language, but they really speak about the very, very same thing. They, they speak about living by uh, uh, the nature of this world. I'm going to actually get the scripture here so I can. Being controlled by the sinful nature or controlled by the spirit. Sinful nature, nature is ourself that wants to establish ourself, wants the best for ourself, always about us. The center of the life is based upon, if it looks back, it's always about how to take care of oneself, how to establish oneself, how other people see us, how we come across to other people, uh, all those things. And the other is about how people see Christ, about establishing his kingdom. They're very, very different kingdoms. But there's only two. I've said that to you guys a million times. There's only two kingdoms. There's no third. There's no third choice. You either serve yourself or you serve the king. Now, in, in, in Romans, we kind of started off that there's no condemnation in Romans 8. And we said that, uh, uh, we said that, where we started here? In 8, 1 through 4, it says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is our sin offering and Christ lives in us. And the point was that we have a reality that, that we don't often really acknowledge. And that is that Christ really paid the price for our sins. And it's no longer us that lives, but rather Christ lives within us. Now, when I asked a few months ago how many of you people feel forgiven, totally forgiven, not one person raised their hand. I don't know, is it any different now? Any of you guys feel forgiven yet? You starting to get it? Okay. That's, that's really good because she's Catholic and really, it took a long time. I'll tell you a bad story once. Uh, I, in the bathroom, I get a lot of praying done. And my wife told me, you can't do that. That was her Catholic thing coming out. It was a crack up to me. What do you mean I can't do that? Now she knows now, biblically, that in dreams and stuff like that, when you go to the bathroom, it means getting clean. So it's probably one of the best places to pray. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, that, that was a Catholic background. Now, the idea of feeling clean, forgiven, is the idea of which reality you go with. You know, our feelings, our, our feelings and how we feel, Sometimes can reflect the true reality, but often doesn't. You know, 
And one of my favorite words that I found out after quite a few years is repentance means really change the way you think rather than other things that I thought it meant because I heard pastors say it for a long time. But it actually needs to change the way you think. And the way we have to, and that begins with our mind and what we choose to choose to look at, and then we change our emotions come along with it. So we before learned to live by the rules and regulations, and our mind were set on the rules and regulations. Now, I told you from Romans that those rules and regulations of the Mosaic Law was designed for one thing, to show you that you couldn't measure up. And Jesus came along to not destroy that, but to complete that. In other words, how would he complete it? He paid the price for the sin. He paid the price because the Father says, one sin's enough to cause your death. And the, the Old Testament also says, no man can take away another one's sin. So that means all the sacrifices, all the offerings, all the bull offerings, and all the other stuff like that could never, never had power to do it. But it was just to show you that you cannot make it on your own. And so you wouldn't live in the reality of, of that, but you'd live in the reality of the Son. Now, that's a big difference. The reality of living in the law and the regulation and living in the Son. But we still try to live by the law and regulations. Because we go along a little ways and we say, wow, I'm doing pretty good. You know, if I'd stop doing this, if I'd stop doing that, I'd be pretty holy. And the next thing we do, we stop doing those couple things and now we feel we're pretty holy. Bigger sin. <laughs> if you think about it, you'd have said you, you can do it on your own strength. You don't need God. You got prideful, and that's a bigger sin than the first two you were probably doing in the first place. But that's how we, we do. And the book of Galatians speaks of that. You know, you started off in the Spirit. Now you expect to finish this thing in your own power? No, it won't work. There's no power because we don't have power. whole Old Testament is there designed to show us that we do not have the power to pull it off. There's nothing in us. And that is the purpose to the scriptures of the Old Testament and the laws is to show us the reality is that we do not have what it takes to make it. And that we're totally dependent upon his son and living through his son for us to make it. That's the whole purpose of it. And as I've told you before, the purpose of the whole thing is that we would realize that he could, we would realize that we need him so much and we'd be a proper bride for the father. For the son, actually. The son for his, uh, for his son. The father for his son. One, a proper bride. And the proper bride have to be one to know what she isn't. And know who she needs to be adequate for the king. And to rule. Because we're called to rule with Christ one day. In him, we have ability and we're called to do that. What a call. So the cross and the fall was no accident. It was an intention. God knew it from the very beginning what he made, and we'd fall. We didn't have the, what we need to make it. It was his intention that we would fall, that he would send his own son because he loved us that much. That's massive love. Massive love that he wanted to do something so much that he wanted a, a people that he could call his own. Remember in Genesis it says, you know, one, make one like, like us? He wanted one like us. How did he do it? He had to show us who we're not so we'd become who he's called us to be. And that's the reality of the cross, and that's the reality of Romans. Romans talks about that we're, the reality we have is based upon the work of the cross rather than our performance. And we can walk this thing out knowing that there is no condemnation anymore 
because we're in him. And because we no longer live by our own rules, the old rules and regulations, and we're no longer being judged by that, but we live by an inheritance that comes from him. That inheritance is a powerful inheritance. It is pure, without blemish, and it allows us to stand before the king of kings without reservation. So the scripture says we can go boldly before the king. Because when he died on the cross, the curtain was ripped and there was a new way into the temple. And he says we can go boldly in there. We can go into his presence and we don't have to fear being destroyed. As the first uh, the priests of the Old Testament, they used to tie a rope around him to go in there because of the sins of the people who were bad. They were going to pull him out on the rope because they're going to be dead. We don't have to worry about that. Because the garment we go in is a perfect garment, the sun. So we have this. We have this great benefit that goes far beyond uh, what would anything we could ever do? It's the law was powerless to do because of the weakness of sinful nature. Romans uh, 8, uh, about f- uh, 4, verse 4 or 7, so somewhere right around that. I don't list it here. God did by sending his own son to re- meet the requirements of the law that we that might be fully met. To whom? That does not live by the carnal nature, but according to spiritual nature. The old nature is what? Rules and regulation. The new nature is an obligation to live our life in Christ. The law means obligation. And we're no longer obligated to the rules, but we're obligated to Christ. And there's a difference between those two. They're both obligations. One of them has freedom and mercy and forgiveness to live and grow and make mistakes and become who we're called to be. The other one brings judgment. Obligation, though. I love what Paul says. He says, you know, all things are legal, but not all things are beneficial. I remember, and I talk about people going into bars to have a a drink with a friend and beat you up on this, but I can remember when I was younger and and, uh, I, I... Understood the freedom of the cross. And I wasn't doing anything wrong. I used to go in with a couple friends and go into a bar and, and have a couple of drinks and then go on out. Uh, and it, it was kind of a fun time. And, and the Lord was okay. But one day he gave me a vision of it. And in the vision, I walked into this bar. And it was all dark. And there's people, these things, I can't say, they had buckets of sludge. And they just sweep it off the floor and throw it on me and throw it on me and throw it on me. Because I was light. And it was trying to put out that light. And then, and then, and then it said, all things are legal, but not all things are beneficial. That's probably the best example I can give for it. You can do a lot of different things. And I have no problem with people going to bars. A lot of times, some of our people go in there to witness. But you're going in with the purpose of the kingdom versus going in for another purpose is different. And though things are legal that you may do, not all things are beneficial. Why? The reason why is because we're on a track to become men and women of God. Not just okay little Christians that go to church and sit on a pew sometime and, and, and kind of act nice on Sunday and do what they want on Monday. No, we're called to be like him, to defeat what the enemy wants to do. You know, the enemy has a plan, and I, I've recently got a good view of it, and it's a powerful plan, it really is. 
He's got people in all places, from the top down, in all countries. I've, ne- I've just recently seen how his plan is laid out somewhat. And it's amazingly much, <laughs> it's much greater than anything I could ever believe. But here we have a God who's chosen to fight him, but not in a way that, we, that you would think. You see, if everything exists from his voice, he spoke things into being. And it's all the scripture says they're all held. That reality is, is in existence because he wants it to be. Anytime he pulls it away, it goes away. That's in Genesis. It says, you know, that, that, that he, it says on the seventh day he rested. Remember that scripture? And it says in resting he maintained everything he made. That means he can take it away. So he could actually defeat the enemy with one word. One word. But he doesn't. He chose to use you and I. It's kind of like worse than one hand tied behind his back. It's the little pinky he's going to defeat him with. Because we're the weak things of this world. And that's what the pinky is. We're the weak things of the world. So when you think about yourself, you think you're pretty strong. No, it's this little thing. This little finger he's using to defeat the enemy. He's going to show how great his power is and how his beloved has the power to destroy and overthrow the works of the enemy. Powerful. He's he's used us in a powerful way. That's why all things are legal, but not all things are beneficial. Because his intention is to cause you to live a life that will destroy the works of the enemy. And guess what? You are going to do that. This tribulation time that we're moving into, and I believe we're actually well into, uh, uh, is, is far beyond you and I, you and I, under, you and I can't even say it right now, our understanding right now. It's going to go farther than things that you can ever think of and understand. But he's got a plan that's going to overthrow the works of the enemy. But it causes, it's, it, we have to grow up. Just as that little example that I was talking about says that if you do not allow what God's using in your life to change you, you will not have what it takes to make it. That's what that little cartoon means. If you do not allow God to do the full work in you. You know, I remember when I, some, some of my earlier days of some real strong trials. And there was such a strong trial that I didn't think I'd make it. I couldn't get off of bed. I was so, it was overwhelming. This roll, you know, rolling over me. It's this overwhelming dread, uh, fear, uh, depression mainly. And, you know, and I had to learn to stand through that. And I would look very desperately for a way out of it. And he said to me, Allow this trial to do its full work in you. Full work in you. Do not try to get out of what he's allowing in your life. Because in doing it, it's like, like in that picture, if you would have had it, you would have seen the guy who's cutting off the cross, making it smaller and lighter and easier to carry. And it wouldn't get him through the process that God wanted him to go through. And he didn't, wouldn't have what it takes to make it. So let it do the full work in you. Whatever God is doing in your life, allow it to do the full work. Now, I've talked a lot about this over the last year or two. A lot of people haven't liked it. Some haven't stayed around because of it. They went and found themselves a place that would say, 
You can have whatever you want, as long as you have a little bit of God in there. Sound familiar? I was at a church like that for a few years that God called me to go minister to that said that. You can have whatever you want in life as long as you have God in there. Flat lie from the pit of hell. That is the anti-gospel that comes from the antichrist himself. See, the antichrist isn't going to come out with saying that God's no good and the devil's real is real great. No, he's going to come right along there and deceive people. How do you deceive people? You can have whatever you want as long as you have God in your life. It's a lie. Understand that's the biggest lie of all. It's the biggest lie of all. You've got to know that. It's the biggest lie of all. It's about laying down your life, picking up the cross daily and bearing it. That's what the scripture says. That's the gospel. The other is the anti-gospel. You can have whatever you want as long as you have God in there. That means you, self, can have whatever you want. What is that? That's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the tree of choice that you have the right to do and you can make your own direction. That's the pit. That's how the pit works. It's a lie. The truth is, as you lay down your life for Christ, he'll give you life. As you lose your life for his sake, you'll gain it. If you try to gain your own life, you'll lose it. Scriptures are not a lie. He means what he says. Now I've got preparation to actually preach the message I was going to give you. <laughs> Those of you who don't know me very well, I usually do about a 25-minute message. I don't put people along because we don't remember it very long. I never did. I usually couldn't remember it to the parking lot. hope you guys do better than me. <laughs> If Christ is, in you, Christ is in you, the Spirit is alive in you. Therefore, we have that obligation to live by the Spirit, Romans tells us. And the transfer has to take place. Hebrews 7:12 talks about the law was a tutor, our tutor, to take us and carry us until what's perfect comes. That was Christ. And now it's that time to transfer from the old sinful nature, which was powerless, hopeless, and from the law of Moses and Moses' intercession to Christ's intercession, which is perfect, to a law that is within you with all power. I'm just going to do one scripture. Romans 8, 16 through 18. This is where we're supposed to start. Who can read that out loud for me? Maybe I can here. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that God is going to reveal in us. Powerful scripture. Powerful scripture. I used to read through it at lightning speed. What does it mean, spirit testifies with our spirit? Yeah. And it means something else, too, that you have the Spirit of God in you. And that Spirit in you testifies or is a guarantee of what's yet to come, it says in 2 Corinthians 1.21. It's a guarantee. It's a seal of ownership that we are God's children, heirs. Why are we heirs? Because of what we talked about earlier. 
We're in error because of what Christ did. The whole idea of baptism is death with him and resurrection with him. We die to ourselves and we're, we're new in him. So we are heirs with him, with Christ and what he's bringing about. What is Christ bringing about? He is bringing a new kingdom, a new power, a new reality, and a new millennium that we all get to enjoy. He is bringing victory over the enemy, our enemy that's been since the beginning of time. He's bringing a new life and a new time for each and every one of you. We are heirs in it. And heirs means, you know, how many of you have ever had an inheritance from somebody? What did you have to do for it? Nothing. Nothing. It's free. Depends from your, whoever you're inherited from. No cost. Don't even have to pay taxes on it. Good deal. We don't either. That's the inheritance we have in the Son. If indeed we share in his sufferings. So that scripture makes it very clear, doesn't it? That we have to share in the sufferings of Christ. He paid the price. Why do we have to why do you why do we have to share in the sufferings? Why? Well guys? Yeah. Good. What else? That's very good. That's why. What else? Have compassion for people. Mm-hmm. What else? Share with his joy, right? From suffering comes joy, right? What else? The next part of the verse. Read. Share in his glory. Share in his glory. So he wants us to partner with him in the suffering so we can partner with him in his glory. Exactly right. Plus, he wants us to become like him. But there's no way around this. Quit trying. You know? That's the point I want to make to There's no way around the suffering and trials and tribulations that you have to go through. Consider it, what? Pure joy when you come to the trials of all Christ. meant that. It says it all over the scriptures. But we don't, we don't want to get that. And let me tell you what, if you go someplace and don't listen to it, it doesn't change the truth. If you stick your head in the ground, it doesn't change what's going around. But you can have an opportunity to be changed and be like him through this. And that's what we want. We want that opportunity to become like him. We want the, because trials and tribulations are going to come, the scripture says. Just what are you going to do with them? Are they going to be a benefit for your life or are they going to be a detriment to your life? The choice is yours. That's one of your choices. Choose kingdom or tree of life, knowledge of good and evil. See if I want to go any farther in this today. Uh, he says, Our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What does that mean? I don't think we really have too good of a clue, uh, but I have some ideas, you know, the glory that is to be revealed in us. Isn't it a strange thing? I remember when I went through the hardest testings, the ones I talked about, where the depression rolled over me and stuff. It was during that period of time, I got, I ended up getting so, this sounds weird, even now to me, because I'm not that way right now. I used to get so excited that bad things would come my way, 
because I couldn't wait to see what God was going to do. You know, that's a scary thought to me right now. Because it hurt. You know, but what I got to see God do amazed me. You're going to see that, guys. And I'm going to see it again, too. We're going to see a time that when things come in this time of tribulation may not be personally against you or may. I got to learn a lesson that way, so I know it for later. Hope you have learned it, too. But we're going to see a testing come on us that and, and trials that come on in this world in such a way that we're going to be so excited to see what God's bringing out. Wow. That's powerful. I'll tell you what, that's what faith is about. It's about believing the reality of God more than the circumstances you're in. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants us to be that type of people that we go way, way past. Anyone can imagine, as Karen was reading something from John Paul, and he said in there that that, that the people would, that in your communication with them, not in your answers to them, not in your this is what's going to happen, right or wrong, but in your security of who you are in him and what you carry, people will see Christ. Because you may get the answers to people's problems in life, and you may not. I had a very interesting meeting this week. Uh, it, it's with a, a small studio here in, in, in uh, Santa Monica. It's the result of that outreach we did. And it was really fun. They called me. I got all the owners of the studio, you know, they wanted me to come in. I had no clue for what for. And the guy that actually invited me immediately left the room, so I had to start swimming right then and there, trying to figure out what God was doing and what was going on there. But what I saw was there is, was the head of this particular studio. It was a very, very small Christian studio owned by Christian, who used to be the president of Paramount, you know, President of Paramount during the times when Paramount made uh, Godfather and uh, uh, all the major movies that they made, the biggest, the, the golden age of Paramount, he was the run. He ran the whole thing. And this man, this is a Jewish man, who about four years earlier got saved. He didn't believe in God. As a matter of fact, when the guy was trying to show him this film to do, he said, get the F and F and mm-hmm. All the F's in the world. Forget it, in other words. That's the F's. Uh, all this stuff. But he ended up taking it home. And he ended up going in the hospital. And he ended up having a problem with his heart. And he ended up having a visitation from God. Big one. Big visitation. God showed him who he was. Got saved. Long story short. And I saw a man that his past history and his present history was so amazing that I saw a man that was saved for four years and knows more about God, knew him better than people that I met for 30 years, and understand more about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness than most anybody I've ever met. It actually, I was shocked. Couldn't say anything. He told me something when God told me I had a visitation from God to start this church. And he said to me, it's about redemption. Still not sure fully what he meant by that. Said it three times and really loud. Shouted in my spirit. But that's what this man said. He looked at me and says, this is about redemption. I go, whoa. He got it. Here he is, four years in the Lord. I've been 35 years in the Lord. I don't really get it. He got it. And he understood what this whole thing's about. And he was able to lay out and talk about what God's kingdom is 
and what being kingdom-minded is. This little studio is extremely kingdom-minded. He knows it's not about just saying things. It's not about making old just movies about God. It's about having kingdom values in them. He knows it's not about just uh, making a dollar. It's about reflecting the values of Christ in what they do and in their accounting and how they deal with their people and how they deal with their employees and how they, they deal with every single thing they do. He knew his new job was to expand the kingdom with this studio. If we can get a touch with what he got of being four years old in the Lord, look out. Because he understands the kingdom uh, and our job here on earth. He understands that the things that have gone wrong have not been to block him, but to help him get where he needs to go. And he understands that all the single things that go wrong, that most people say is the devil, is the devil, is the devil, is probably God, 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 making him become the man he's called to be. Wow, what a lesson it was for me. I got done talking to him. I said, I don't know how much I'm going to help with you guys. we got a bigger problem with the church. He goes, you know it. That's right. It is. We have a bigger problem because the church, and I don't care how many years a person's been in it, most of them don't get that principle right there. They don't understand the kingdom, the job, and what we're about to do. You have to understand that. Now I want to close with that. And I want to close with this thought. I want you guys to start thinking about bringing people that you don't, you know, people you meet, your next door neighbors, start bringing them here. Because, you know, it's not going to grow any other way. <laughs> the, the people who were last week, I thought, gee, dummy. You know, they said it. Pray for somebody. And I was going to have Lewis, but he had to take off. Matter of fact, our whole uh, worship, not all, but a big part of our worship had to take off to do another gig. Yeah. Yeah, the setup. It's actually kind of a fashion show outreach, so it's a good thing to do. But I was going to have somebody that last week, remember the guys who were here, they said uh, uh, pray for one particular person. Well, the person he prayed for got saved last week. So we need to do those simple things. Continually target one person in your life to start praying for, asking the Lord to touch them, to bring opportunities to let them see your life that reflects Christ, that they get saved. And bring somebody here next week. Just bring somebody. And so we've got to start growing the same. Because you know what? I know the stuff I'm teaching is, is what God wants to do and bring about. But it's not going to do any good with just, just a few of us hearing it. We're going to have to grow. We're going to have to. I know it's Christmas and a lot of people that are normal here aren't here. But we're going to have to invite people and begin to speak and demonstrate the kingdom of God in our lives and others. Father, I ask right now that the words that were from you will be sown so deeply in the hearts of the individuals here that'll, that'll, that'll give birth to not just a germinated seed, but that seed would become a tree, a large tree that would dominate their life. I ask that each and every word the enemy cannot steal and that would become a, a living call in their life that they would be able to walk out a life that reflects you in a different way. I ask that each and every word that I sowed in the heart today would bring about the joy of your salvation. Lord, you say that's our strength, the joy. And we often get so caught up in where we are and what we don't have. 
this, that we don't remember what you've given us. This great land we live in, uh, the, the area we live in, we aren't messing around with snow <laughs> or anything else like that. We live in a great place, and we've got our health and our life in you, and we have the ability to see your kingdom, which is the greatest gift of all. So, Lord, I ask that you would seal that work and cause it to germinate in every heart here. And I bless you, people, in the name of Jesus. I speak a blessing over each and every one of you. I speak the favor of the living God over you and a blessing. Amen.